good morning. I am Ben Williams from Redeemer Baptist Church. I love your pastor, your pastors. Jordan's a great friend of mine. I am humbled uh, to be able to share in this moment with you, to be entrusted with rightly dividing the word of truth before you. Uh, You've been so gracious to my church to allow us to borrow Jordan, I think on four different occasions, uh, even on a Sunday morning. So thank you. And and just from, from Redeemer to Grace Church Memphis, We extend gratitude in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, a kindred spirit. We love your church. As we have seen through your pastors, we've been able to peer in to the church life of Grace Church, and we are so thankful for providentially putting Jordan, the rest of your elders, into our lives He has meant such a great deal to me. And so, Jordan, I praise the Lord for you, and I praise the Lord for your church family. Turn with me to the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament, Habakkuk chapter 2. We'll be looking at one verse in particular, and then we'll kind of unpack it, and we'll look at uh, some of the other verses uh, in that great book. So uh, put your thumb at Habakkuk chapter 2, but we will be flipping a little bit throughout the book, mainly towards the end of our time. Uh, But yes, this morning we're going to look at the flood of the glory of God. And so on the outset, what I want to do is just to let you know, we're going to see how this has been fulfilled and how it will be fulfilled and then how we are even involved in it now and how this impacts churches like Redeemer Baptist Church and Grace Church Memphis. And so we're going to be able to look at that this morning. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14 Let me read it for us. I'll be reading from the ESV, very similar to other translations like New American Standard. But this is Habakkuk 2.14. The Word of God says this. I'm going to read it and then I'll pray for us again. The Word of God says this. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And as we ponder that, would you pray with me again this morning? Father God, Lord, our spirits are bowed before you, thanking you that you are our creator, God. That you have called us to yourself, that you have made yourself known through the mighty work of your spirit. And Lord, we praise you. And we praise you for time together just to be able to study your great word. And so Lord, we ask and we even beg of you to open up our minds, to open up our hearts, that we might listen with ears to hear, that we would submit ourselves unto the authority of your word, and Lord, that you would teach us and we would receive it with joy. This we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So what we have here is a prophetic book, and Habakkuk's uh, vision, prophecy, if you will, actually builds on uh, a covenant made with Abraham that kind of sets up the grand narrative of the Bible. Now, if you remember, there was a, a promise made to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations uh, and, and that the, the number of his children would be as many as the stars there are in space and in the galaxies. And, and this promise was said in this form. It says, in you, Abraham, my child, All the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so what we have here is this this verse in the context, Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled 
with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This text before us speaks of the grand narrative of Scripture. It's almost like God was taking his servant Habakkuk, putting him on top of a mountain, and blessing him, providing grace, so that he could see what is to come. So that he could see what work God is going to do on this earth, his redemptive work, bringing a people to himself, and then bringing us into him in final glory. What a wonderful picture it is. And it's good to zoom out. It's good, especially you, uh, you parents in this place, uh, when we're studying God's word, Yes, there is a time to settle in on uh, very specific verses and spare, very specific books of the Bible and just to, to just drink it all in and to, uh, to stare at it, to marinate in it, to meditate on it. But there's also good in, in being able to zoom out and recall the grand story of redemptive history. And so it's important for us parents... And I'm not trying to apply pressure here, but it's good for us to make sure that our children know the big story, okay? The big story is the flood. And each book and each verse in every book are the waves. And listen, the waves are more joyful when you know about the flood. When you know the grand narrative. When you know the story of God's wonderful redemption from Genesis to Revelation, and how it has been delivered to us saints for us to understand and to behold with joy. And so it's good to zoom out. And when you zoom out, when you see the big picture, when you're experiencing the waves, but also are able to see the flood and treat your heart to the flood, trials will make more sense. Opposition that you face in your life will make more sense. As you look at the culture and the kingdoms of the earth, it will all make more sense if you have a, a grasp on the grand narrative of Scripture, the story of redemption. So the prophet Habakkuk, a humble man, he's, he's, he's tired. He's tired by looking at the sin of his people. He was probably a, a friend of, of Jeremiah and Zephaniah. Uh, and, and the people of God, which is Judah at this time, uh, they were corrupt. This was after King Josiah. They had experienced a time of fruitfulness and revival under the great King Josiah who was faithful to the Lord. But when Josiah passed away, they once again regressed back into idol worship in becoming more like the culture. And so Habakkuk is another prophet that seems tired of what has happened to those around him. And then the book before us, we see Habakkuk speaks in Yahweh answers. And so let me just kind of track with you. I'll do it as quickly as I can to bring you up to speed, to give you some context, the lay of the land, where we are, and how we get to our verse. In chapter 1, what happens is Habakkuk opens with this complaint, a complaint of Judah's unfaithfulness, and God seemingly is unresponsive. He asks questions, why are you not hearing me? Why is this being permitted to happen to those that you have called your people, the people of Judah? 
And so he's got this complaint, but also in chapter one, God responds, gives Habakkuk an answer. And this answer is interesting because uh, he doesn't tell him the whole story here. What he does is he says, listen, what's going to happen to Judah is they will be judged. So God answers and says, okay, the people of Judah will be judged for their sin, will be judged for their idolatry. They will see punishment and I'm going to do it through a people called the Chaldeans. Now, the Chaldeans, this is Babylon. These are the Babylonians. And so what God says to Habakkuk is, I'm about to tell you something that you can't even fathom, but I'm going to take this wicked nation of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and I'm going to bring them in for reproof over my people. And what they're going to do, this is going to produce a purge amongst my people. It's going to squeeze out a remnant, a faithful remnant. And it's fascinating because this obviously concerns Habakkuk. This answer of God saying, listen, I'm going to bring punishment and reproof through a wicked people and they're going to overtake my people. So Habakkuk responds to God's answer in chapter 1 with a second complaint. And this time he complains about this plan, about God using Babylon to punish the people of Judah. He questions God's order. How can you do it this way? You who are pure and holy and righteous, who can't look upon evil, how are you going to use a a wicked nation like the Babylonians to punish your people in Judah? How can this be? And then he says in chapter 2, I'm going to wait for your answer, Lord. And God answers him. By grace, he answers him again. And this answer is where we find our text. But here's the answer, if I can summarize it. It says, listen, Babylon will be brought in to punish and to purge the wickedness of my people. But hear this, Babylon will fall. Babylon will fall in its haughtiness and I will get my glory. And my glory is unrivaled and my plan of redemption is unmatched and you will see. And then after God gives this answer to Habakkuk by his grace, Habakkuk in chapter three praises God and then finishes with a song praising God for his salvation and faithfulness. But our passage, our verse, is found in the Lord's second answer, this vision. And God says it needs to be written on tablets. It needs to be laid out so that we can hear it, so that my people can hear it, so that even the Babylonians can understand that judgment is coming even for them. And so Babylon, the Chaldeans, they're no match for the Most High. Justice will come upon them. Justice will come upon the wicked. God's people will be delivered. A remnant will be saved. And Yahweh's glory is unrivaled. But how do we see this decree, this, this promise, this vision play out? Uh, and when will you see it? Because the bottom line is, uh, when physical Babylon on earth ceases to exist and they fall, there comes other empires other wicked empires after them. Even other empires that would oppress the people of God. And so it's kind of like, well, what do you mean? What is the meaning behind this? Because even when Babylon falls, there are still other nations that rise up in contempt against the Lord and his people. 
So what is this decree, this promise, this vision? What does it mean? How is it going to play out and when? So as I was speaking with Jordan earlier, I said, I'm going to bring in Daniel, some from the book of Daniel, because we need help from Daniel. You can get help from Ezra. You can get help from Jeremiah, Ezekiel. You can get help from Isaiah. You can get help from the revelation of John. And you can get help from Moses. But I want us to kind of think about Daniel. Now, those of you that have studied Daniel before, You understand this, that he was entrusted to be able to interpret the dreams and vision of the wicked king Nebuchadnezzar. Do you remember that? Does anybody remember that? I know some of you adults may have heard this story. But he was entrusted to interpret these dreams for Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar had these crazy dreams about different materials stacked on one another to create uh, this kind of statue. And then he would have later dreams about different wild beasts and animals. And Daniel was entrusted to be able to say, okay, what is the meaning of these dreams and these visions that are troubling Nebuchadnezzar? And what they were is that there were four different empires, okay? And listen, I'm well aware that there are so many different commentators, interpretations about who these nations are. But I, have a, but I have a good grasp here for us to kind of latch onto. So even if you're in disagreement with uh, how these kind of stack together, there is a, there is a point that I'm going to get to, and I think our hearts will be mended together, knitted together even still. But in these dreams, there's talk about four consecutive empires, and these empires were revealed to Daniel through symbolism. The first is Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar himself the symbol of gold, the symbol of the world's natural and progressive rebellion towards God. When you hear the term Babylon, yes, you can think of the actual place and the actual people and time and history. But what Babylon represents is the rebelliousness of the world. It is the rebelliousness in sin. It's the system of the world that is at rebellion, that is in rebellion towards God. So when I say something like the spirit of Babylon, I'm talking about something that still exists today. Also could be called the spirit of the Antichrist. Anything that is inherently, naturally, and diametrically opposed to God and his gospel the system of the world, the way the world thinks, the philosophy of of man apart from God is the spirit of Babylon. That's what Babylon represents. It's a symbol of the world's natural and yet progressive rebellion towards God. And so Babylon would come, it would rise up in power, the greatest power that had been known in the world, and then one day they would fall to the Medo-Persian Empire. And the Medo-Persian Empire had several different leaders. In fact, the people of God uh, experienced grace under King Cyrus as they were able to bring back worship and to begin rebuilding the temple of worship. But there would be wicked kings also to come in the Medo-Persian Empire, whether it was Darius or Xerxes. Those that would indeed eventually, once again, bind the people of God and oppress them. And so after Babylon, a greater nation, the Medo-Persian Empire, would overtake Babylon. And then one day, the Medo-Persian Empire would be overtaken by the Greek Empire. 
started by Alexander the Great, this young conqueror. You didn't know you were going to have a history lesson today, did you? It's all good. It's wonderful stuff. And it's, it's good to see God real in our history. And Alexander the Great, one of the youngest conquerors, and he expounded, expanded his territory so fast as a young man. It was unthinkable. It was unconscionable what he was able to do in the amount of time that he did it. Taking over the known world conquering it and his kingdom and the Greek empire was even larger than Babylon and the Medo Persian empire but you know what Greece Greece would bring about things like a good common language it would enhance education and start a public education but you know what happened to Greece and the Greek empire it fell so the Babylonian Empire falls to the Medo-Persian Empire. And then the Medo-Persian Empire falls to the Greek Empire. And then the Greek Empire falls to Rome. And we know of several oppressive emperors in Rome, especially Nero. And so each of these empires, one after the other, is progressively building power stronger than the one before. And they all carry with them the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of rebellion against God. All of these trace the spirit of Babylon, which would continue in human history. But Rome gains special attention in the book of Daniel. Albeit by symbolism, Rome gains special attention. Uh, may it be for the, the idea that Rome would bring in the Pax Romana, which was this time of 200 years of world peace, even though there was wicked leadership, their control over the known world ended up being peaceful for about 200 years. And then they also had the Roman road system was built under the Roman Empire, where finally they would make roads so that you could travel anywhere in the known world. It was the first time anything like that had ever happened. But even those are some of the highlights of some of the big things culturally that happened during the Roman Empire. Know this. This is why Rome gained special attention. Rome would be responsible for a census that you see in Luke chapter 2. Caesar Augustus would take a census. And this is the census that took Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Okay, I hope you're tracking with me. And then under the Roman Empire, not only was this, there this census of the people that took Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem, but Jesus Christ, the Messiah who was foretold, would be born during and under this Roman Empire. Okay, track with me. But not only would he be born and live under the Roman Empire, Jesus would be arrested and he would be executed by Roman authority, and he would be hung on a rugged Roman cross. And he would rise from a tomb that had a Roman seal on it. And he would commission his disciples under the Roman Empire. He would commission his disciples to teach and to baptize people of all nations and to be witnesses for him in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Why is that so important? And why are we talking about Rome? <laughs> know this, because of Pax Romana, ordained, decreed by God, even under wicked leadership, 
and the Roman road system, the appointed time for the Savior to be born and to commission his apostles. And guess what they could do because there was a Roman road system? They could take the gospel to all the known world. How wonderful God's sovereignty and providence, even in our own history as human beings. This is wonderful. They were able to teach, baptize, disciple people of all nations. Why? Because they were able to travel on the Roman road system for it all to happen for the glory of God. And so here, believe it or not, the flood begins Now, yes, there is a a future flood to be revealed, and it's symbolic of the flood that is to come. But right here, the flood begins. It begins with the life of Jesus Christ. It begins with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It begins with the apostles' teaching and the inauguration of the local church and Acts 2. And you see the spread of the gospel. And you see it going from town to town, city to city, country to country, nation to nation. God is bringing people to Himself. Some would call it the church age. I'm not here to make some sort of eschatological proposition to you. But when Christ commissioned his disciples to preach the gospel to all nations, to make disciples of all nations, and to teach them and to baptize them, This is the beginning of the flood. This is the beginning of the church age. This is the beginning on the unleashing of the gospel. It was held tight under the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. And now it would expand and all the families of the earth will be able to hear and respond and trust and understand and respond to the gospel. The flood started. The flood of the knowledge of the glory of God began to spread to the four corners of the earth. This is often in scriptures talked about as the fullness of the Gentiles or awaiting the completion of Israel. In which Jesus says, all that the fathers will give me, the son, will come to me. From all nations and all people, he is gathering his elect. This is the flood of glory. This is the glory that outshines the darkness. This is the glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now a wonderful Baptist theologian, John Gill, helped me out here in understanding what it is, this glory that we even get to experience now and revel in. And he loves going back to uh, the teaching of Christ as prophet and, and priest and king. And this is so wonderful for us as we meditate on this glory, as we live in this glory, as we revel in the glory of God, as we celebrate the glory of God. We're celebrating the person of Jesus Christ. We celebrate his glory as our prophet because he speaks and we hear his call. We hear his word. He teaches us, and he teaches us what is to come. And we see the glory of Christ as our priest, because through him our sins are canceled. I love that word. 
I love that word as applied to scripture, not necessarily the, the cultural in, implications, but I love the idea of being canceled here. Our sins are canceled. The record of debt has been canceled by his blood and his obedience. And we dwell in that wonderful glory and we celebrate that together. And we celebrate the glory that he brings as king because we look to him as king. We bow before him. We obey his commands. We worship him and worship him alone. We ascribe to him praise. We glory in him alone. And we fear him alone. The glory of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. Wow. And when we think about Jesus as our king, understand this, brothers and sisters, saints in this place, This is an absolute monarch. This is a dominating king. All of history is in his command, decreed by the voice of God, ordained by his goodwill and good pleasure. And our future is secure in him. He is our king, and he is the king of an everlasting kingdom. The point of this The point of our passage, the point of the book of Habakkuk is this deep-seated peace and comfort that even though there will be kingdoms and kingdoms that will oppress, all earthly kingdoms pass away. All earthly kingdoms pass away, but His endures forever. So this is a message of dominance. This is a message of hope. And it's a hope that is certain. The spirit of the world, the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of the Antichrist is defeated. So their days are numbered just like Egypt, just like Assyria, just like Babylon, just like Persia, just like Greece, just like Rome. And even the spirit of Babylon that permeates through the culture of where we are today. It will be defeated. It is defeated. Only the church of Jesus Christ will stand. Amen? So our message is this. This is our evangelistic message coming forth from the book of Habakkuk. Live with King Jesus or die with the kings of the world. Live with King Jesus or die with the kings of the world. And so I want to draw your attention as we kind of close to Habakkuk 2, 18 and 20. And I want us to see these comforting words from the Lord to Habakkuk on the defeat of Babylon. That Babylon will fall and the spirit of Babylon will fall. And the enemy, Satan, is defeated and God's people will be redeemed. And what a word this is, especially for what we know about Babylon, what we know about Nebuchadnezzar. Look at this, Habakkuk 2, 18 through 20. Let this bless your soul. It says this, what prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trust in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, or to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath at all in it. And then verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. As we ponder Babylon, which was the golden kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar actually stole gold from the Israelites and from the temple of worship and created an image for everybody to bow down to. But he was the maker of the image. 
and the image could not speak. It is therefore worthless. And here we have Habakkuk many years prior giving a prophecy. The word of the Lord says this, when you see this, no, it's a speechless idol. It can't accomplish anything. Let all kingdoms and idols on this earth keep silent. I am the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. My redemption is coming. The flood is coming. And then there's this wonderful proclamation in Habakkuk 3.13. I love this. And it speaks of the final defeat of Babylon. In our heads, in our minds, this is the defeat of the serpent. This is the defeat of Satan. This is the gospel jumping out of the pages of this prophetic book in Habakkuk. Look at Habakkuk 3.13. I love this. Let's rejoice together. It says this. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. And look at this. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. What does that remind you of? Genesis 3.15, anyone? The serpent crusher. Babylon is the snake, and this snake will be crushed. And though there is the spirit of Babylon that still exists on the earth today, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will prevail and will be preserved for his glory. God gets the victory. To him be glory and honor and praise. And then Habakkuk ends with a song, so I'm going to end with it. I'm not going to sing it. Don't know how. You wouldn't like it. It wouldn't be good. But what comfort there is from God's people. to Even the spirit of Babylon still exists. And so on this earth, there is rough terrain. There's trials, there's loss, there's pain. There's persecution. There's attacks of all kind. One day a future glory will he will scoop us up to himself and there will be sorrow and pain no more. But there's a promise and a comfort for God's people even in the midst of living amongst the spirit of Babylon. Habakkuk 3, one of the most famous verses, or few verses I should say, Habakkuk 3, 17 and 19. The word says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines... The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Verse 19, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. What a turn for Habakkuk. When Audrey and I were on that two-mile gravel road coming into Camp Moriah, believe it or not, there's this barbed wire fence along the side of the road. You'll probably see it when you exit if you didn't notice it before. But as we were approaching, there was this deer standing right by that barbed wire fence. And then we saw it just leap, unlike anything I've ever seen, just leap straight up over that barbed wire fence. Never seen anything like it. And then you see the ending of Habakkuk in this wonderful book. And it says, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. What we understand about deer's is that their feet, their hooves are actually made for rough terrain. Rocky terrain. And what a wonderful promise it is that God gives us symbolically deer feet. To be able to jump over the barbed wire fences. To be able to climb the rough terrain of the mountaintops 
to be able to make it through some of the most dangerous conditions. And though the spirit of Babylon might be at war with our souls trying to distract us and distort us and to smear our testimony and to make Jesus smaller than he is, God has equipped us with sure footing, the sure footing of the gospel. And we just keep our gaze on the big picture, the grand narrative, the person of Jesus Christ and his glory and his glory alone. If we're fixated, if we're obsessed with it, if we're consumed by it, we have sure footing even in the midst of deep pain and loss and rough terrain. The glory of the spread of the gospel, the glory that is to come in the age to come. We revel in it. It's ours to behold. And Grace Church, you're in it. And you live by it and you live within it. So let's celebrate together by gazing upon the Lord Jesus Christ as we sing again of the good news of the gospel. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the words that you delivered to your prophet Habakkuk, your servant. Lord, I pray by your good mercy that we would embrace, that we would hug these passages of Scripture. That we would remember your faithfulness. That we'd be able to look back on history and see what you've accomplished. As our sovereign God, we praise you for declaring and decreeing the day where the gospel would go forth to all nations. Lord, thank you for setting us in the age where the church is expanding and you are calling your elect to yourself and you will leave no one behind. And Lord, we thank you for the future hope and grace and the glory that we see that you will one day come again. And that hope is certain. That hope is secure. And so we praise the name of Jesus. We worship him alone. He is our prophet, our priest, and our great king. And we will live with him forever, celebrating him, worshiping him, loving him, eating of his eternal fruit, being fully satisfied, being fully filled with joy, unspeakable. We praise your name for your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.